0: Hello, and welcome to Bottomless Coffee. I'm your host, Jerome Evans, and on this show, we sit down with people for conversation over a cup of something delicious. For me, that's coffee, but our guests can drink whatever they want so long as they come with a fresh perspective that we can all grow from. Today, we're talking with Trina Olson and Alfonso Winker, co-founders of Team Dynamics, hosts of the podcast Behave, and authors of the book, Hiring Revolution. The book is for sale now at hiringrevolutionbook.com, as well as on Audible. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited. And uh, a revolution, you say. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, I'm interested because I feel as though uh, our current system has been working, in quotes, for a while now, and I don't know, the word revolution seems a little strong.
2: Yeah. Um, Why? Yeah. So the system's working as it was designed, right? Folks are getting hired. Yeah. And what we talk about in Hiring Revolution is the reality that who predominantly gets hired, promoted, paid more, given more leadership opportunities in the American workplace, are folks who benefit from whiteness and from masculinity. Hmm. And so yeah, the system works as it currently is constructed for white men to get leadership jobs, executive jobs, director level jobs, C-suite level jobs, Mm -hmm. right? So sure, folks are getting hired, but when we look at the available workforce in the US, the folks who are getting hired don't represent available workforce. So there's a big gap in who's available. And the system is antiquated. The system needs to be revolutionized. We have to stop almost everything we think is best practice in hiring and start doing everything almost completely differently.
0: Okay, Okay. so what are one or two best practices? Well, what are one or two things that we are considering best practices now that maybe we should rethink?
1: Yeah. So let's just call them old best practices okay. and best for some people practices. Okay. So. Uh, One of the things that drives us bananas is when we go to support a client on a search, how many rounds of interviews and conversations Mm. they force people to go through, Mm -hmm. right? So it is really a lack of understanding of the modern workforce, and that if you're out looking for a gig, it's likely that you currently have one and you're looking for multiple places to potentially land, right? And so it's like we're treating applicants like, A, they've got all the time in the world, be like, we don't have our crap together, so we're gonna just keep asking the same questions and be really redundant, Mm. which turns into more like pageantry and gotcha moments than like, would you be good at this job? Okay. Yep.
0: So, so don't do multiple rounds of interviews. How many rounds of interviews would you suggest?
1: Depending on the role, as many as you need, to know what these people have to offer. And so when we sort of posit a revolution, we know it can sound like a lot of work. Sure. The reality is, If you start to make this your new standard, hiring will go so much faster. It'll actually be more efficient. It'll be more streamlined. And there isn't a magical number of sort of interviews. There isn't a magical length of application Mm. because it should be role specific, not sort of set it and forget it boilerplate.
2: Yeah, one of the things that we talk a lot about in the book is that the current practice is to just replicate whatever we did last time, regardless of if we're hiring for the same exact role or a completely different role. So we just say, here's our template. We write the job description like this, and maybe we change the title and a couple of the responsibilities. Here are the interview questions that we ask. And in the book, we say, stop all of that and start from a blank slate every time. Hmm. It's not bad to sometimes borrow from previous things, but first ask the question, does any of that serve the purpose of this job? Do I need to ask that question for this job? Do I need that qualification or that set of responsibilities listed in the job description for this job? So part of what folks are doing is just relying on a template that maybe is a decade or more old, rather than saying, so right now, who is it we're looking for? What kinds of things do we need to learn? And so how could I learn that? Do I need to learn it through three conversations? Do I need to learn it through a writing sample plus a phone conversation, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than saying, we do this job description, we ask these questions and it has to be three, a phone screen, a group interview and then a hiring manager interview. Why? So a lot of what we say in the book is, why? Why are you doing that and what goal does it serve? If you can answer that question, then keep it in. If you just say, well, it's what we do, then that's the wrong answer and start over.
0: Uh, Okay, I am so happy that we're having this conversation now. So early into, you know, my TV production career, because I haven't hired anyone yet, but I absolutely would have just, you know, put out qualifications and just and had interviews and maybe two or three the first is screening interview and then you know uh an actual hiring interview and then not until the end would i've said okay well can you actually operate a camera or can you (laughs) can you adjust audio or what have you um and why i don't understand why it was so easy for me just to fall into the habit of doing something that everyone has already done When I already know that, it's a broken (laughs) system. Well,
1: so at Team Dynamics, what our firm does is we talk a ton about patterns and our ability to re-pattern, right? And so patterns are really close cousins to habits, Mm -hmm. which it is just like, well, I I don't know. I don't remember it being horrible, so it was probably fine, right? But the gap between intent and impact is often sort of hidden in plain sight. Mm. So that idea that, Alfonso and I as well, we have been a part of, on the, the end of being people being interviewed and being hired, and we have interviewed people in a way that was like, why do we do that, right? Right. Yeah. So so we've all fallen into it because it is the predominant pattern, right? And it's what I liked about the book is that it gave us the opportunity in part one to do a really deep dive into modern workplace research, hmm. to be able to sort of define that gap between We know something is off, but we keep doing it anyway. Why is that happening, right? (laughs) So we dug into that from a bunch of different directions, and then we tried to give folks really specific skills or templates of how to get your way out of that pattern that doesn't meet your goals. But it happens to all of us, so you don't have to feel bad.
0: (laughs) Now, you talked um, for a second, a, a phrase I think I heard was kind of the relationship between the pattern, and the impact. And I feel like that's what Alfonso is getting at about how um, the system that we have in place serves to ben- benefit the people who put the system in place in the first place. <laughs> is, that, is that the nail on the head or is that just beginning to scratch the surface?
2: Yeah, I think you're, you're starting to zoom in on something we discuss a lot in Hiring Revolution, which is so many of the patterns that are created are about comfort. And when we dig into for whom, Mm. right, whose comfort is being prioritized or centralized in the current system as it's designed, when we start to look at what those patterns are, they're patterns of whiteness and patterns of masculinity. And so we create structures that say, if you can perform whiteness, if you can perform masculinity, Mm. you will be a more comfortable worker, a worker that's more easy to work with, someone Mm. who might be seen as or perceived as more professional more trustworthy Um, maybe we talk about your leadership presence or your leadership qualities as being a really good fit for our organization and so when we start to unpack all of those traditional if you want to call them structures we realize they were organized around the idea that white men should be driving the economy should be the leaders a perception of leadership as white and masculine
0: so one thing We're we're, we're at what five minutes and we're already. Let's go
1: deep right away.
2: (laughs)
0: Let's unpack white supremacy.
1: Uh, (laughs) We get that question a lot. Like, do you have ten minutes to just like get into racism? We're like, okay, just ten. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Right. Yeah. Um, I love it. (laughs) It's amazing. You're absolutely right. That I think the word revolution is absolutely the right revolution because you really almost have to flip the way that we have been thinking about things on its head. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, So, did you start from like an impact perspective? Were you, were you saying, okay, these are the people, the groups who have been impacted and then work your way back up? Or did you come in already knowing that you know the patriarchy and uh, the supremacist system that's in place needed to be adjusted and go looking for fixes.
1: It was iterative, yeah. I would say, okay. right? And so, as a white woman and a man of color who are good friends and co-own a company and sort of drive a business together, we started, of course, from our lived experience, right? Mm-hmm. So. Because I've had a job since I was 15 and I'm about to turn 41, I've been hired a bunch, right? Or I've gone through um, an application process. I know I have been underpaid at times. I know I have not been called in for interviews when I was overqualified Mm -hmm. for something, right? And then Alfonso also um, having those lived experiences going, okay, so what did we experience given who we are and how we are and then we have our clients and we have our staff so as we were starting to notice patterns and we try to keep an eye on the headlines of sort of what folks are noticing we began writing this book in 2019 right and then all kind of broke loose in 2020 in a bunch of different ways. Plenty of time to write a book. Yeah, in a bunch (laughs) of different ways. Well, so part of what we talk about with COVID and the impact of the murder of George Floyd by police is a lot of what was already there bubbled up over the surface, Mm. right? And so when we look at workers in the workforce and we think about who was most likely to get laid off first, Mm -hmm. right? who was uh, most likely to be a frontline worker, Yeah. Who's most likely to be paid the least already, right? And who's likely to be part of a family and a community ecosystem that does not have the access to cash or working from home or access to really good benefits, right? So it just is, we did kind of feel it in the water. We kind of knew. But again, the book gave us the opportunity to really spend some time and find out how bad is it? Yeah. How fast is it changing? and what on earth can we do in our lifetime if we're the ones in the workforce right now.
0: So I, well, I really appreciate that you wrote this during COVID times because uh, the question of who gets to work from a home and who doesn't seems so full of classism and that that particular tension. And I know my, my husband, for instance, Uh, It's like, I'm not going back there. (laughs) I have no interest in going back there. But also childcare, the price of childcare is so expensive. And I don't know if this is addressed in the book or not, but for women who traditionally may not have had that access to the workforce, um, or who had to drop out of the workforce to take care of their child, because childcare is so expensive, now working from home as an option is such a great uh, lifter, uplifter for them. And I don't know, is that, is that something you explore at all?
1: So, women, and particularly women of color, are mm-hmm. very sort of historically and consistently underhired, underpaid, and underpromoted, right? And so, as we look at who has been shoved out of the workforce and due to a, I'm gonna try to find the nice way to say it, um, an unusual way that we've decided caretaking should fall on the shoulders of certain people and not others. Mm. I'm gonna say it that way for now. Why? Okay. Um, <laughs> so um women of color being sort of summarily shoved out of the workforce. So part of what we looked in into in the book was that history of underhired, underpaid, underpromoted. And so one of the stats I came across, we were in the middle of a work day and I texted Alfonso because I was furious. Yeah. Oh. And I was like, I can't believe this. Maybe I'm reading this wrong. Like, will you double check? So there was this number that popped up in the research, which was 2,224. Hmm. So that's referring to a year. We will all be long gone by then, okay. the year 2,224. Okay. If we stay at the same pace we are right now of pay gaps um, by race and gender sort of decreasing, hmm. it is going to take until the year 2,224 for Latinx women to be paid on par with white men
2: wow eight generations wow
0: yeah due to our current system yeah we're just not even close just these are just these are like affirmative choices that we're making that we already know are the bad choices the wrong choices and we're just not changing
2: yeah it's it's well known readily available data about who is and isn't paid what right yeah. and the current approach is a glacially slow approach to closing that gap so rather than swiftly and aggressively closing that gap if we just follow the current pace it's going to take that many generations just for folks to be on par and that is only if we don't adjust for white men's current salaries right oh so So they would have to not get any raises oh my gosh
0: Mm -hmm. wow Okay. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the objections you hear from your clients or or maybe not clients in general um, about why they aren't changing more aggressively, why they aren't revolutionizing their hiring processes?
2: Part of the challenge is it's really hard to tell the truth. Mm. So for some people to make some of these adjustments would mean they would have to admit to their current workers that they knew about the gap. They've known about the gap for a long time and they've been consciously choosing not to close it. So there's this hurdle of, oh wow, we're ready to make the change, but as a result of making the change, it means we're going to have to look at and face our current workforce and, and let them know yeah. we were misaligned with values. We had values around equity, around inclusion, around diversity. and when it comes to pay, when it comes to promotion, when it comes to hiring, we haven't been living those values. And I think that would actually grow trust. I think Mm. folks would really resonate with an executive team or a leadership team just admitting that, but I think it takes a lot of courage to first face that. So some of the the, the big hurdles are just, oh, well, we could make these changes. They seem actually fairly reasonable, very doable tomorrow. But for example, we talk about pay transparency, salary transparency, that every job posting should post a range of the salary that you're willing to pay someone. You're wasting folks time if you're not doing it, right? Yeah. And if that's just the beginning of the conversation, you could say, we're thinking about this amount or this range, if you'd like more, we're willing to start the conversation mm. here, right? But. Your current workers would see that range and realize where they fall inside of that range. Yeah. And you've got to be equipped to have that conversation to say, we're in the process of rectifying this problem rather than oopsies. Oopsies. Um, I can,
0: it, uh, unexpectedly, I can kind of see where the organization would be coming from. So if you're. Uh, a person of responsibility in a larger organization, where hiring and firing and moving around very often, and the, your predecessor in the role uh, was not abiding by the company's values. And you get there and you're presented with this information and you're like, oh, now I'm the one that has to get up and like rectify the situation. Is, is it a, from a place of fear? primarily that people are thinking, oh, I don't want to do that. Is it the deep shame that they might feel? Is it um, a damage to the brand that they're concerned about? Is it all of the above?
2: (laughs) It's a mix for sure of all of those things. And I think each leader is going to be different. Each leader will have their own reasons for why they are ready, willing, and able to make the changes or not. But I think what's true is how very possible this revolution is. And even for the leader to say, here's what I know about what our current challenges are, Mm. and here's why and how I want to fix them, rather than fretting about what the past had been or what the reputation of that previous leader might be. You don't have to make an enemy of or create gossip around that previous leader just to tell the truth of, this is the context that we're in. And guess what? It's true in all companies and it's true Mm. in all industries. So we're not alone in this, but I'm gonna just start telling the truth about what is our data telling us about who gets hired at what rates how much do they get paid how often do they get promoted here's where the gaps are and i'm ready to fix it right so just pivoting to the fix I think save some of what people might be afraid could happen. Certainly, if all you do is report out how bad it is without a plan to change, <laughs> you're going to have more problems on your hands, right? Yes. That's why we wrote the book. That's why we invite folks to the revolution. Here's the game plan. Here's the actual tactical things you can do when you're ready to just face the truth of how awful the gaps are when it mm. comes to preferencing white candidates, preferencing masculine presenting candidates.
0: So. You kind of outlined, from at the larger organization level, uh, some things that you could do. But if you are not, let's say, the decision maker for your organization, like at around what level should you be at before you're, you're really starting these conversations that are company-defining, I would say, conversations?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. So we know that there's a lot of what we would sort of call champions for change Hmm. um, inside of organizations and they might be in different departments, they might have different responsibilities and they might be at different tenure, right? So when you think of whether it's the social capital or it's the expertise to sort of be heard, part of why we wrote this as a guide and an executive resource is we literally imagine thank you yep. that somebody can go into their boss's office and say hey i really learned that the new standard is this mm. right so that if you want to blame us we're totally peaceful about that we're <laughs> like we have to do it this new way so that it's also it just doesn't feel like you're a lone person with yes. like a campaign um because again it isn't us against everybody who has who is our current bosses it's saying We've clarified our values recently or a long time ago. Yeah. It is time to live our values on a day-to-day basis. So how do we make sure they're not aspirational, but they're actionable? Mm-hmm. And because so many darn people get roped into a hiring process, it's likely that you can make a really big impact. So one of the things we talk about is a lot of folks, and Alfonso has had this experience as often being the first or only person of color, or the first or only LGBT person. Um, also here. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Folks will just get like pulled into a hiring committee.
0: Oh, yes. right. And you're like, mm-hmm.
1: hey, we're hiring for this job you've never had and don't understand the skill sets of, but you're black, do you wanna come hang out? <laughs> right. right. And you're like, why am I here? Yeah. <laughs> right, but this idea that if we are somebody who is being asked to for example distribute a job posting right because people think we have a network that's relevant mm-hmm. or we're being asked to serve on a hiring committee or um, we're even being asked to sort of our best thinking around how to track the demographic data that's coming in right so we could be like on an operation side or on a front-facing side it is highly likely that if you go through each of the tools in the book You will be able to sort of intervene in a really meaningful way, in a way that isn't gotcha, that's not shaming, but is saying, hey, we're all in this process, and I just want to name, I'm not an expert in this job. Hmm. I've never been an IT manager before, right? Yeah. So I'm really happy to weigh in. I'm really curious what it is you want me paying attention Mm -hmm. to, because I don't know this job.
0: That's, that's great advice. I have definitely been called into those meetings before and you know, as the black person, as the LGBTQ person, I feel a responsibility to be in the room to make sure that if someone who looks like me or acts like me or makes similar choices to me, uh, lives a similar life to me, is at the table. And they are given a fair shake. I don't always know what I'm doing.
1: (laughs) And and here's the thing we say too. So for your men who are watching, um, you better be looking out for women, whether or not women are in the room, Mm -hmm. right? And for white people, we have got to be thinking about race and racism, whether or not a person of color has been invited into the space. So we always talk about a mix being a necessary but not sufficient condition to interrupt bias in hiring. So we also can't just like twiddle our thumbs and wait yeah. till the you know exact like cast of characters is here, right?
2: Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, and we've been having this conversation a lot lately. That in in this moment, when so many people are, whether they're waking up to or getting newly engaged in activism and understanding sort of injustice at a bigger level, mm. that that awareness that they've developed they bring it to work and then they feel really captured in the enormity of problems so they sit at their desk or maybe they're at home sitting at their desk Mm. and they start thinking the ceo or the c-suite or the chief human resources officer so they they strip themselves of choice making and the book invites everybody at every level regardless of race gender etc to say, what are the choices that I make? Mm. So I do get to talk in that meeting. And so I can, like Trina said, bring the book and say, hey, I'm thinking about this data point or this tool. Or you pause and you say, oh, I'm the person that types up the interview questions. So I do have a hand in how this is going to play out. I could replicate what we've always done. Or I could say, hey, I tried some new questions. What does everybody think about them? I got them from this book, right? oh, I am the person that is a recruiter. Maybe I'm a junior recruiter and it's just my job to compile a list. I could do that list compiling in a different way. And so I think part of it is this responsibility where we can think about injustice, discrimination, workplace bias as so big Mm -hmm. and someone else's fault because we watch inaction at an executive level or a C-suite level. And then we then replicate that in action, which is actually Uh. counter to the things we say we want, but we're like, oh, it's so big, so I can't do anything, rather than saying it's so big, I've got to do something.
0: And I think, and I'm not sure if this is related to to this point, um, we're kind of living through the great resignation that seems to also uh, go hand in hand with COVID-19 and workplace culture. And I wonder if for some people it's not just that, oh, I can't do anything about this. It's okay. I can't do anything about this. I'm leaving. Yeah, <laughs> you know?
1: yeah I, part of why I'm excited that the book is hiring specifically is we want to remind folks that there are choices to make,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Are you choosing to stay in the gig that you have? Right? Are you feeling called to something else? Are you talking about transitions internally and externally, not as sort of naughty or bad or disloyal, mm-hmm. but that idea that as we're thinking about hiring from within and professional development and options and opportunities, um, you know, there are definitely waves of folks saying, I want meaningful work. I want work that feels inside of my integrity. I want work I feel proud of, right? And so that idea that, A lot of folks, through sort of self reflection and circumstance, are saying, you know, this doesn't feel good. I have more to offer, right? And that's part of what we talk about a lot is that way too often we talk about hiring across race and gender as like hard or Mm. a pain in the butt. And the reality is, it is both a business and moral imperative. So if we think about teams that are gonna outperform, homogeneity is not the birthplace of innovation yeah never has been yeah right so this idea that if we are focused on the assets of what happens when people with different vantage points different lived experiences different networks if we start and kind of like do a 180 paradigm shift of this will make us better we're not just like doing this to be nice
0: i love it i i think i'm officially sold on the revolution great, great. welcome thank you thank you yep. very much yep. Um, We are going to take a quick coffee break, and when we get back, I'm wondering if we can talk about some personal stories of your own workplace experience, because I've got plenty. We'll be right back. (laughs)
2: By vaccinating children in our community, we'll be able to decrease the spread in our community and help keep our kids in school, keep our kids participating in activities. They'll have fewer exposures, fewer
1: risks, and fewer
2: infections.
1: It's time that we have something for these children to help them get back to normal. Getting your child vaccinated shows love for your child. Nobody wants their child to have a shot if they don't need one but we are seeing kids get hospitalized and even end up in our ICUs with COVID-19. Now, if you're concerned that people can still catch COVID after getting their vaccine, I'd say, you're correct. We do get some infrequent breakthrough cases as they're called happening in the US, but I'm here to tell you that we're not seeing those young people getting admitted to the hospital. The vaccines we have are safe and effective.
0: We
2: know that children have suffered from COVID-19. They get sick, sometimes they end up in the hospital, sometimes they recover, but end up with long-term symptoms, and sometimes they even die from a vaccine-preventable disease. As excited as I was to get vaccinated to COVID-19, I'm even more excited to get my kids vaccinated. I have twin boys, and I want nothing more than to be as safe as I am. This vaccine is safe, effective, and we know it produces a robust antibody response after two weeks.
0: If you have any questions about whether you should get the COVID vaccine for your kids, please reach out to your pediatrician, your family medicine doctor, or another trusted healthcare provider. We're here to help you make those hard decisions and answer questions that you might have about safety.
1: We can do this together, Minnesota. Let's get the vaccine.
0: We are back with Alfonso Winker and Trina Olson of Team Dynamics talking about their book, Hiring Revolution, now available for purchase online at hiringrevolutionbook.com and on Audible. So uh let's get just a little personal what is it that made you want to dedicate your careers to workplace culture because this is a lot of hard conversations right uh it's a lot of dealing with sexism racism all of the phobias um what makes this meaningful work to you
2: my enthusiasm around this work really goes back to college I was really tokenized on my college campus relative to being third-generation Mexican-American, being a queer person. And so I just got put on all these committees. Mm. Uh, Mm. The student affairs professionals at my college just, if they could find me and there was a committee, (laughs) they would put me on it. And at first that was really exciting and then it got overwhelming. And then I realized that I was ill-equipped, that I was being tokenized because it felt good to them to have my face or my voice in the room, but no one had given me the tools or skills to really understand how organizations work Um, how their structures reinforce systems of dominance. And so Mm. I just started researching and I started looking at community organizing and I started looking at theories of systems change and how does power work and how do institutions interact with the people that make them up. And so it was this curiosity that I had about, like if I'm here and I'm supposed to be about change, um, maybe I should understand how change happens. And so that led me into doing student organizing work around lgbt issues all around the state and so for me it was really that experience of tokenization and saying like oh they just want me here but i need to understand how change works Mm -hmm. and i just stayed hungry for it and that's been sort of a through line in my career for me that when i look around and i see so many people in their workplaces who just get asked to participate and then the institution thinks, you're here, so we've solved our equity or inclusion issues. I say, no, that's the bare minimum. That we're here, that we're in the door is great. Representation absolutely matters. But then what happens to us when we're on a committee, when we're in an institution, when we're part of the workplace? And is that workplace ready, willing, and able to change because of what they learn from us? So like, that's the driving question for me.
0: And I see you nodding, Trina. Is it a similar origin story?
1: Yeah, so we have related paths that I would say are kind of close cousins to how we got into this work. So for me, the formative years in my early career were spent working on a variety of national, local and regional campaigns. Mm -hmm. So I was on the ground um, raising money, mobilizing voters in Washington State, California. Um, Florida, Texas, New Jersey, California, Maine, like just, I was around, right? And I would say about half of the time, I was working on policy issues that really directly impacted me, right? So marriage equality, thinking about um, access to healthcare. And then about half my career, I was working on issues that I don't have personal experience with. Mm. So immigration, Medicare, right? And policy change is really critical I like it. I learned about how to do it cuz it's just important that the laws have our back, right? Yeah. But what became so crystal clear to me was that when the, the votes happen and the words on the paper change, that doesn't flick a switch. Yes. Right? And so when I think about culture change work, it's actually because we come from this real place of hope so much is fixable. So the thing we've been saying is most of what we're up against um, are human-made inequities. Yes. Right? So good news. (laughs) We can get after it, right? And if we stand on the shoulders of giants of folks who got us this far, and this is the part of the relay race where we have the baton, what is going to make us feel in our integrity when our head hits the pillow and we say, okay, I tried Mm -hmm. today. And so I think trying to imagine how me as a queer white 41 year old woman how can my body be of service and be useful given that there are parts of my identity I have no control over and there are parts of my identity that are on the move over the course of my life and so I think the culture change piece for me really hit home and led to the book because it has been illegal for decades to not hire people because of their identity. Yeah. It has been illegal for decades to not pay people for their their equal worth, right? And so, but we just don't
0: because it was written on the paper doesn't mean, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, doesn't mean that's how it's happening, right? So the gap between the rules and the reality is where I have a ton of energy right now.
0: Uh, Alfonso, something you said resonated like they were like <laughs> bells ringing. Um, because I was also selected for every committee and what have you. And it's an interesting point to note that once you get through the door, it, it's like, you're here, you made right. it, There's join every committee, we need you. You know, it's so important. But even getting to the interview, can be really really difficult. you know I've run for office, I have you know led uh, communities, I have a show but there I know for a fact to your point Trina, that there are some jobs I'm I would say at this point I'm overqualified for a lot of jobs <laughs> <laughs> but if I submit a resume, I might not get a call back, which I find like kind of ridiculous and I never really know, what it is. I was like, what are you discriminating against exactly? Because I know it's not my experience.
1: Yeah. You know? So, there's a stat we uncovered during part 1 of the book that is about the two of you. Right? So, one of the things that we were looking at is what is happening to even get people into the pool. Yeah. Right? Because we're often talking way too late in the hiring process to mm-hmm. be able to sort of turn the ship around, but who's even entering into the pool? What we learned, um, and this is true right now, is that for people of color, you are 50% more likely to get a call back if you whiten your resume.
0: Oh, whiten the resume. Yes. And I guess you don't mean the paper. I don't. Color. Okay. No.
1: So that could mean anything from leaving off community affiliations, mm. right, or alma maters. It could mean adjusting your name, shifting your address, anything that you think is going to indicate wow. that you are a person of color is going to make it is going to cut your chances in half of getting through. And again, these are data points when you compare identical resumes. Yeah. Right? So these are these people have the exact same skill set, the exact same experience because we think this person is white, they go to the top.
2: Mhm. And so what we do in the book to mitigate that problem, right? So if that's pervasive, mm-hmm. that's data that Trina looked at over several decades, that's consistently happening. So how do we stop that? Because we can't just point at the problem, right? Because that overwhelm yes. issue. So we, what we say to folks is, before you start writing that job description, before you start structuring your hiring process, sit down and reflect on and be really honest about, when you close your eyes, what kind of body do you imagine in that role? Mm. And be honest. And we do this exercise. Okay, close your eyes. I'm gonna say doctor, lawyer, police officer, paramedic, mm. CEO, CFO, and who do you actually imagine? And if you tell me that you don't imagine any kinds of people, you're lying to me. Yeah. You have an image of who has that job and you have an image of who you wish had that job mm. and you have an image of who you don't think about in that job. And just telling the truth to yourself, not even to anyone else you're collaborating with on the hire, will help you yeah stop that. Because if I can be honest that when I close my eyes and I think doctor, I see a white man. And when I think nurse, I think a white woman.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Right there is the truth telling that's necessary to say, but I know intellectually that there are doctors and nurses who are not just those races and genders.
0: Yeah. And it's,
2: we're entering a fun territory here.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because um, as an employee, let's say, If I went to my boss and said, I am having these thoughts and it's a real problem, I might very well get fired, right? And so I think what's important is to recognize in yourself that you have a bias and then adjust your decision-making process for that bias until until it's no longer a bias, until it becomes second nature, your actual nature. I would say work on yourself first and then go, you know, I've seen this pattern in the data and I think we need to do something to correct
2: it. Right, and that's exactly the advice that we give in Hiring Revolution. And and I actually tell a story in part two about what I know is true, is if I don't do that exercise for myself, Mm -hmm. I will either hire a gay man who's younger than me Mm -hmm. or a white woman who's older than me who smiles a lot. I know those things are true for myself. So all I have to do is remember that reflection. It's still true. And I co-authored the book that's still true about me. If I don't think about it, I'm going to make those particular decisions, right? And Mm -hmm. so what the exercise allows us to do is exactly what you just said, is show up to those conversations, knowing if I'm not careful, these are the choices that I'm going to make and come to find out those choices are actually in the opposite direction from some of the goals we set about who we think we want to add to our team. We want more women in management. We want more people of color on this creative team, right? And then I roll in with all the things that I think are more comfortable, more familiar, more preferred. I have to catch it.
0: Mm -hmm. I am obsessed with this way of thinking, and I have practiced it before, and I love hearing that you've got these exercises. In the book because th- these same exercises can apply not just to your hiring process but to other ways of thinking. I know I had been in the shower and I was thinking about something and I was like, is, Drew, is that sexist? Am I having a sexist thought? And it's almost like I just take this little pen and pull it out like whatever it was that taught me to think that way. Just get it out of your mind. It's not who you want to be. It's not who you are you know, and that's no longer a part of you.
1: Yeah, so we've all been programmed. Yes. And when we sort of offer that language, it helps people recognize that from everywhere, right? From music, from media, from our classrooms when we were little, from Mm -hmm. our neighborhoods, our peer groups. We're getting information that we're trying to sort and filter through, right? And so one of the things, and I think you're going to like this part, is um, we talk about investigating your instincts as an actual practice, right? Because way too often people have been conflating sort of instinct and intuition and personality Mm. of like, oh, I I can't help it. I'm just kind of like this yeah right and so what we talk through is the brain science of bias that it's really a holdover from evolutionary info that we often don't need anymore Mm. right so we are hardwired to sort for safety right so it's not a problem to notice that we are different heights and different colors yeah cool that just is if then we start to rank order as somebody then being summarily better than or more capable or more intelligent, that's where things go sideways, right? Yes. And so we think because race, racism, sexism, misogyny have been talked about so for so long as simply the individual acts of mean people, mm-hmm. which is like not all it is, I think people spend so much time thinking they can nice their way through bias. Mm-hmm. Right, and the yeah. reality is, you cannot control your reactions. You can control your responses. So, like you said, you didn't decide to have that thought in the shower; yeah. just showed up, right? Yeah. Same thing. I'm in a car, and it occurs to me to check if I've locked the door. Why does that occur to me sometimes and not other times? Hmm. Right. And so that idea that we have all of this imprinting, yes, and some of it is a big pile of lies yeah it is here's whose body is scary here's whose body is less capable right here who here's who is less able so like one of the things we also talk about because we have all these stories from our clients right is if you think of the um concept of hiring somebody who would be a strong leader mm-hmm. and you just like imagine strong leader do you picture a woman who's five foot two mm. right who's ocean. Yeah you're like yeah i see that body and i think strength yeah right so that idea of like you are going to miss out unless you take the time to slow down and go where do these instincts come from that he just feels like a leader to me mm-hmm. right right or he has leadership presence and you're like guess what you didn't control how tall you got <laughs> <laughs> right
0: <Yeah. laughs> like, and the scientists
1: are really clear not related to intellect <laughs> right but we keep conflating yeah sort of like qualities and and characteristics with ability and they just don't go together. So we have to do the work to disentangle um, and to be honest, right? And to Mm -hmm. just be able to say, yeah, this is who I'm a comfier around given our goal. Do we need somebody to fit in or stand out? What are we trying to do? Are we innovating or do I need replicas of people?
0: I really um, appreciate that. oftentimes once you get to a certain level you walk into the room you're like i got this you know i uh I, i've nailed, th- nailed this question i nailed this uh, interview process i've hired the right person and it, you get to a point where you think that you've already considered all of the possibilities you're an expert in the role or what have you and there's just a lot that you don't know that you don't know And what I'm kind of hearing from you is, in this book, Hiring Revolution, (laughs) you will find some information that you didn't know, you didn't know, but that will make you better at your job and that will make your company more competitive in the uh,
2: industry. Yeah, absolutely. So, so much of the book is about introspection. Hmm. It's about planning. So before you begin to do your outreach, your recruitment, the posting of the job make a plan right and then do some intense specific authentic relationship building not mm. i'm gonna put this posting on a job board and then move into well, what do i actually need to know from this person so we recommend that you get rid of using resumes oh because The resume very rarely tells us what we need to know about what the person's capable of. So is it that I need to ask a series of questions and have them fill out a questionnaire? Is it that I need to have them give me a list of different skills or capabilities that they have? So if someone were to say, I was the finance director at XYZ company, well, I don't know necessarily if they can do the level of math I need them to do Mm. for the CFO role that I've just posted for. Maybe they were the finance director, but I don't know by that job title, did they supervise people? Because the CFO role is gonna supervise five different people who have a director title. So rather than a list of jobs and job descriptions that people have had, maybe I need to know what some of the things they've done are. Is there a particular kind of public speaking this role will have? Actually, what I want you to do is submit a three minute video of you giving a talk because you're going to be our press secretary and primarily you're going to be speaking in public, right? So really thoughtfully thinking. So it's all this introspection of, well, what are the assumptions that I have made? And at every point in the process, stopping before you just replicate whatever it is you've done in the past before. So
0: I am assuming that if I uh, institute the process laid out in the book, then I will end up with employees uh, a, a team that's a bit more diverse than it currently is. Um, is that just enough to just have a more diverse team, or does it? Is there more work after the fact?
1: It's a good question. So our are- um Perennial question is diverse in what way? Okay. Right? So, you di- both
0: did light up when I, yeah. I said that. <laughs> so, right,
1: well, diversity's hot right now, right? It's like we're really clear that the mix of who's around is off mm. based on the mix who's around in the world. Yeah. Right? It's just not correct. So, we're leaving top talent. Um, out of our process and we're filtering whole kinds of people out, which is a problem, right? Mm -hmm. So absolutely, if you follow the hiring revolution process, we believe you will finish each search really proud. So it's not going to necessarily love that It's not. we just want you to feel good at the end, right? Because you'll think, yeah, I did consider a wide range of people. Yeah. I was listening to folks across tenure, across sector, right across religion. Like I was getting a sense of their assets because what we talk about is somewhere fairly early in your process, you're talking to a pile of adults who could all do the job.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So instead of rank ordering, what if you moved into compare and contrast? And so that idea of diverse in what way, as we think about vantage point, access to resources, networks, lived experience, right? Um, Formal training, informal training, it's that idea that the research tells us that mixed teams can be more successful than homogenous teams if and only if they regularly acknowledge and leverage the difference as an asset. Okay. So what we don't want is come here, come here, come here. We're so excited you're different. Yes. But don't bring any me. of that different stuff. Oh. Kind of <laughs> like us. So, are yeah. we onboarding for difference, but asking sameness once you get here? That's so, we're, s-
0: so true. Yeah, so we're doing yeah.
1: assimilation. Yeah. Right? Just be in the photo. We'll look really good together. <laughs> right? Is really different than yeah. how are you willing to be changed? throughout the revolution by who shows up. How are you willing to be made better, have some of those blank spots really brought to your attention, and shift, rather than just say, I'm going to teach you how to be successful here because here's how we are. Mm. How are we now that you're here is the better question.
2: And I want to put a really fine point on something that could be implicitly assumed for any of you who are watching. Talk to him. (laughs) The goal of the revolution isn't to stop hiring men and white people. Yes. The goal of the revolution is to stop having processes designed for men and white people to be more successful. Yes. So the whole point of hiring revolution is the current process is set up so that men and white people can be more successful, get more jobs, make more money, get promoted more often. So the revolution says, what if the process that we all move through Mm doesn't assume that whiteness and masculinity are the best kinds of ways to be. So we're not saying yeah. don't ever hire white people and men again. Yeah. But we are saying stop creating processes where white people and men are just gonna win every time.
0: I will echo that. My, husband, my husband's white male, so. <laughs> you love him. I, d- I do need him to be employed. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> For sure, <laughs> nope. <laughs> Oh my gosh, this has been really fantastic. Let's say we take one more coffee break and when we come back, um, we'll just make sure we've hit on all of those finer points before we let our audience go. Cool?
2: Sounds
1: great. Awesome.
2: We'll be right back.
0: Hello, Uh, we've got another giveaway. The state of Minnesota is giving out $200 gift cards and a chance for $100,000 scholarship to eligible Minnesota families. Here's what's up. The state of Minnesota is encouraging Minnesota families to get their kids aged five to 11 years old fully vaccinated against COVID-19. Now, typically Minnesota has been leading the country in vaccinations, but right now, three months into eligibility, Only 25% of Minnesotans aged 5 to 11 are fully vaccinated. Now, we know that the vaccines protect against severe illness and hospitalization. That means that right now, 75% of Minnesota kids aged 5 to 11 are at risk. Yikes. That's where the $200 gift cards and $100,000 scholarships come into play. The Kids Deserve a Shot program launched by the Walls-Flanagan administration provides $200 Visa gift cards for each Minnesotan, aged five to 11, who start and complete their COVID-19 vaccination series in January and February of 2022. Then later this spring, there will be five drawings for $100,000 Minnesota College scholarships for all fully vaccinated kids aged five to 11, who are also Minnesotans. Okay, we've got the website and registration information coming up here in about 30 seconds, so go ahead and grab a pin now so you're ready. Here are some other details while you get that pin. The gift card will be under the name of the child, but a parent or guardian must register their five to 11 year old. For the $100,000 scholarship, the five to 11 year old child will be named as a beneficiary on the Office of Education sponsored Minnesota 529, account. And registration is easy. Parents can fill out a basic form to verify their child's vaccination and provide contact information to receive the rewards. Here are the websites for registration. Minnesotans can learn more details about the program and register at mn.gov COVID-19 slash vaccine slash vaccine dash rewards slash kids dash deserve dash a dash to learn more about the vaccine for kids, visit mn.gov slash vax That's V-A-X for kids. We've also got those links on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash bottomlesscoffeeshow. That's a little bit easier for me to say. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. We are back with Team Dynamics. Trina Olson and Alfonso Winker of Team Dynamics are here to talk about some much-needed updates to our workplace culture. Their book is called Hiring Revolution, and it's available now at HiringRevolutionBook.com and on Audible. This conversation has been fantastic. and We're glad. Yeah, good. I'm also glad. (laughs) Everyone's glad. Um, One of the last things that we'd like to do in closing, just to anchor things in a really positive and uplifting place, is ask about a nonprofit you might know of uh, that you'd like for audience members to check out and possibly support.
2: Yeah, so we're really big fans of the Black Visions Collective last summer during uh, all the uprisings following the murder of George Floyd. Our company, along with some other colleagues of ours, moved several thousand dollars to that organization to support the organizing that they're doing within black, queer, and trans communities. So it's black-led, it's queer and trans-led, and they're really focused on liberation. They, Mm. too, are revolutionaries, and we're really excited about their work that they are doing around public safety, the work that they are doing around the opportunity for fair wages, the work that they're doing around access to public accommodation. So uh, we get really excited about the various campaigns that they're waging and any chance that we get to support their work, amplify their work, uh, we want folks to take a look at Black Visions.
0: Black Visions Collective, received, received. And then, um, oh my gosh, Hiring Revolution, hiringrevolutionbook.com is there a final message anything from the conversation you want to make sure our audience takes back with them
1: i want to make sure that folks know this is just so doable yeah. right and so we wanted to share all of our secrets because they weren't secret uh, <laughs> exactly how we build our team right so in real time we didn't put anything in the book that we have not ourselves tried out mm. Right, so we want folks to know that, you know, we work with over 70 organizations across 11 industries. Folks are putting this into practice all around the country. So the idea that we know it can feel really easy to think there's nothing I can do. I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a judge, I'm not a mayor, I'm stuck, right? And so many folks in the workforce, are having these big conversations about the future of the workforce what it's going to look like to rehire in really big batches and so it's just this reminder not in a pollyanna way like it's going to be easy but um it's super possible i love that
2: we close the book by really talking to all the revolutionaries who are reading it and we talk about the responsibility of revolutionaries and Mm. one thing that's true is that status quo doesn't look for a revolution. So no one's gonna come up to you and say, I give you permission to engage in the revolution. Yes. So it's really your job as a revolutionary to pick up the book and start implementing the steps that we outline, because if you're waiting for someone to invite you to do it, they're likely not going to. So we really leave with, underscoring what trina just talked about that it is possible and it's possible because you start doing something
0: that is fantastic and a brilliant place to close our episode hiring evolution. let me hold it up one more time thank you very much alfonso thank you so much trina this has been fantastic thanks from
1: thank you yeah